are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Just a brief word of introduction before the sermon begins. Our preacher for the evening was Robin Shugart. Robin is an active member of St. Benedict's Table. She's actually a warden or senior elder of the community in her fourth year in that role and is the Manitoba Director of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I was delighted to be able to ask her to preach for a second time this year. And so, here's Robin. May God's word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amen. So when Jamie invited me to take my pick of texts in March, I initially hesitated to take such a classic parable, But when I realized he's likely had countless opportunities to preach on this story, I felt less badly about claiming it. It's certainly daunting, however, to try to find a fresh perspective on one of the best-known Bible stories. Most folks, even those who aren't very familiar with the Bible, would know the story of the prodigal son. But recently, there's been a growing awareness that this title does not do the parable justice. While the chapters, verses, and title headings in scripture are editorial additions intended to help us identify smaller parts within the whole, they can at times direct our attention in a way that can cause us to miss the bigger picture. So more recently, I have seen this story titled, The Parable of the Prodigal and His Brother, or The Parable of the Man with Two Sons, both of which draw our attention to how each of the sons interacts with the father in the story, and not just the younger brother. Another recent approach to entitling this story drops the use of the word prodigal altogether and references the lost son, which links the parable to the two which immediately precede it, about a lost sheep and a lost coin, and the celebrations which follow their recovery. The lectionary has kept the important context in the first three verses, which describe the circumstances which prompt these parables, and then skipped ahead to the third and final story. Jesus has attracted a crowd of tax collectors and sinners who are coming to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes view this as a problem. The religious elite shouldn't be engaging with those who aren't living faithful, godly lives. And Jesus is revealing his poor rabbi credentials by welcoming them. But Jesus hears their grumbling and responds with these parables where something is lost and then found. In the first two stories, he describes a search for the lost sheep and coin. And upon their discovery, the owner invites their friends and neighbors to celebrate with them. He then immediately draws a parallel to the angels in heaven rejoicing over the repentance of just one sinner. The message seems clear. God is delighted that these sinners and tax collectors are coming to Jesus and showing signs of repentance, and the Pharisees should be too. So this is the context for the third parable, which reinforces this point but also takes it farther. A man had two sons, and the younger son is shockingly disrespectful and dishonoring of his father by asking for an advance on his inheritance, essentially saying to his father, I wish you were dead because your money is more valuable to me than your life. 
But the father, in turn, is shockingly gracious and generous in his response and divides up his property between them, at which point the younger son picks up and takes off. It really seems like the younger son is simply an immature, foolish, selfish kid. He wants to get away from home, live a life free from responsibility and restrictions, and pursue pleasure and parties. His inheritance probably seemed like it would supply anything he could ever wish for, until it runs out. And it becomes clear he hasn't managed his resources well or planned for the future. And to make matters worse, this takes place right as a famine hits the country. Amid this economic crisis, he manages to find a job feeding pigs, a shameful role for a Jewish boy. But even that is not enough. And the younger son is desperately miserable, hungry, and at the end of his rope. And it's at this moment that our translation says he came to himself. Or in other translations, he came to his senses and realized how much better off he would be in his father's home, even as a hired hand. He's been humbled, and he recognizes how badly he's treated his father and how undeserving he is of mercy. But it also seems that he knows something about his father's character. He recognizes that his father treats people with far more kindness and dignity than what he is currently experiencing. And he believes there's at least a chance that if he is repentant, his father will let him work for him, which would be a significant improvement on his current situation. And this brings us to the famous scene in the parable where the father who has been watching and waiting for his son to return rushes out to meet him, full of compassion and joy. He's not behaving in a way that is dignified or appropriate, especially given how he's been treated by this son, but he's clearly motivated by a deep love for his child. And just like with the lost sheep and coin, in the previous parables, he calls for a massive celebration, one that honors the son who has dishonored him, that spends extravagant resources on someone who has been so wasteful, and that heralds the return of a child who chose to live of his own free will. It builds on the point that Jesus has already made in the first two parables. The tax collectors and sinners are like the younger son. They have behaved in ways that are dishonoring to God. But God's response is like the father in the parable, full of compassion and love and mercy and delighting in the return of the one who has walked away. For the tax collectors and sinners listening, the message is clear. You are welcome and God wants you here. But the parable doesn't end there. The elder brother appears after working in the field all day like a responsible oldest child. He can hear the party before he even gets to the house and is informed that the celebration is for his wayward younger brother who has returned. He is so angry that he refuses to go inside, and so his father comes out to plead with him to join the celebration. But the son responds, listen. For all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours comes back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. The older brother isn't just angry about how his sibling has treated their family or even that he's getting a party after everything that's happened. He is angry that he hasn't gotten a celebration after years of hard work and faithful obedience. He feels he has earned a reward for good behavior, and he hasn't gotten what he deserves. And now that he sees his younger, irresponsible brother getting what he certainly does not deserve, he is livid. And yet, once again, the father shows unimaginable compassion, love, and mercy in response to a son's dishonoring behavior. He gently points out to his older son that he already has access to all of the father's riches and that as a father, all he wants is to have his children with him. He had lost his younger son, and so the celebration is just as much for the father as it is for the prodigal. It is in this interaction that the older son reveals that he has also separated himself from the father. He might be physically present, but relationally he has distanced himself and he views his work and obedience as obligations rather than the natural product of a life of shared relationship. He's waiting to get something from his father that he believes he must earn rather than recognizing that he already has access to everything the father owns. This sense of obligation and scarcity make him bitter and angry when he sees his father being generous to his undeserving brother. And so the implication is that the older son is like the grumbling Pharisees and scribes. Like the older son, they are so focused on their religious obligation that they miss out on the goodness of a relationship with a generous and loving God, which makes them resentful when those who they view as unworthy are welcomed into that relationship. They choose to separate themselves, even though God longs for them to take part in the celebration for those who were lost but are now found. And so the message for the Pharisees and scribes is the same as it is for the tax collectors and sinners. You are welcome, and God wants you here. The difference is, they don't want to join the party. And so the story ends on a cliffhanger. Will the older son set aside his anger and resentment and join the celebration? And with this cliffhanger, Jesus makes an invitation for the listeners of the parable to find themselves in the story. And it's this invitation, I think, which makes it possible for us to hear this parable again and again and again and still draw fresh insight each time. We receive invitations differently depending on our circumstances. If I receive an invitation to a party, I consider what's in my calendar, how much energy do I have, do I want to spend time with the people who will be present, and in recent years, what the public health conditions are. My response could vary based on any of these circumstances, and it's the same with scripture. How we respond to it is shaped by our own circumstances, who we are reading it with, what is happening in our lives, and how we are relating to God in that season. So I've been considering how this season of Lent might shape how we hear and respond to this story.
In this wilderness season, we are invited to engage in this parable that offers two different examples of wilderness. The younger brother makes an obvious choice to leave his home and pursue a wild life in another country. It's not until he spent all his resources that he realizes that his greed and gluttony and pursuit of pleasure have created the wilderness of scarcity in which he finds himself. This is when he realizes that returning to his father's home, even as a slave, is a far better prospect than remaining where he is. The older brother, on the other hand, finds himself still at home, but in another wilderness of his own making. His focus on rules and expectations and obligations have separated him from experiencing the love and generosity of the father. Instead of enjoying the abundance and affection that his life at home has to offer, he is bitter and distant, feeling trapped and focused on what he believes he lacks. For Lent, some of us may have chosen to pick up a practice or a discipline or to fast from a pleasure to mark this season. And if that has been done in response to a prompting from the Holy Spirit or a desire to connect with God in that way, that is a wonderful thing to do. But if you find yourself feeling resentful or trapped in this practice, believing that God will be angry or disappointed or less full of love towards you if you don't engage in Lent this way, it's possible you've landed in the same wilderness as the older brother. Perhaps God is inviting you to remember that this discipline is supposed to be a way of being with God, and that if you're feeling more motivated by obligation than love, that it might not be serving its intended purpose. It's also possible that some of us intended to practice a discipline or fast through Lent, but have wandered away tempted by other pleasures and swayed into thinking that they will be more fulfilling than drawing close to God through setting limitation for a season. If that's the case, perhaps God is inviting you to return, like the younger brother, in order to recognize the abundance of God's provision, compassion, and love. Regardless of how you are engaging Lent, Both this season and this parable give us an opportunity to examine how easily we fail to recognize and remember the character of our Heavenly Father. And while our inclination to relate to the older or younger brother may change each time we hear this parable, the character of the Father points to a God who does not change. And just like the celebration is as much for the Father as it is for the younger son, The entire parable is just as much about helping us see God rightly as it is about helping us recognize ourselves. When we find ourselves in a wilderness of our own making, God is like this father who watches and waits eagerly for our return and who comes out and pleads with us to come inside and join the party. God always wants us to be at home with God delighting in a relationship of love and not obligation. And when we return after wandering away, God always welcomes us home, not with judgment and reproach, but with compassion and joy. This parable shows us that how we relate to God matters, 
but even more important is how God relates to us. And it's because of who God is that we should want to be found at the feast, delighting in our unimaginably compassionate, merciful, and loving God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.